Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Hello and welcome to Two Guys, One Book. This is uh, Tim, joined by... Ryan! Yeah. You excited? Oh, I'm stoked. <laughs> I feel like you're about to go off on this book, so... <laughs> I'm... <laughs> Can't wait for another uh, contested discussion. Tim, why, what would I have to, what could I possibly critique about this book? You only get excited when you're about to lay into someone, <laughs> to lay into an author. You know what, me too, that's fine. Uh, go, go ahead, Tom, to Tim, sorry. Go ahead, Tim. Explain. It, let, to let, let us, it. Yes, let us do the proper introduction. We, you know, welcome, yeah, we're here, we, yeah. we we're the two guys. What book are we going to talk about today, Tim? Yeah, yeah. We got sidetracked uh, yeah. just because of how excited you were, but I'll, I'll get past it, and uh, here we go. This book is How Innovation Works by Matt Ridley, and the tagline, tagline, subtitle? Subtitle. Uh, is, and why it flourishes in freedom. And this book is basically about, it's like, I would say um, a high-level overview history of innovation, uh, different technologies invented over the years and centuries, and um, he kind of talks about patterns and various things like that. Um, he's written for, like, I think he was the editor of The Economist, Matt Really, He's written a few other books, like The Rational Optimist, that are uh, pretty popular. Um, so, yeah, that's the basic overview. So, want to give us your first impression, Brian? Well, I don't mean to be overdramatic, but <laughs> when I finished the first chapter of this book, mm-hmm. I knew I was not going to like it. <laughs> and why was that? Because he he goes on and on in the first chapter about um, the innovation behind energy and steam engines and Watt. The uh, was it James Watt? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then. But he goes on and on at length about all these different names and people that what um, maybe have used their other technologies that other people have developed over the years and what just expanded on them to make us the steam engine better and how innovation isn't uh, a light bulb going off moment. It is more of an incremental improvements on top of other the work that other people have done before you. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, he goes, then he talks about fracking really at the end of the first chapter. And he says something about, oh, you know, like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's a hundred percent safe. And all these environmentalists that don't like fracking are just, uh, you know, science deniers or whatever. And I was like, oh God, <laughs> this, we're going to have to deal with a whole book about by this guy. I'm like, oh. all right. All right. Let me ask you, Brian. Did, did you let your political identity and leanings get in the way of, uh, of you know, just of uh, being open to this book, I guess I would say? Well, I, you know, I, I tried not to. I really tried not to. I mean, you know, and he wasn't like there were some other things he talked about, um, you know, governments always making things worse from his <laughs> point of view, which is interesting. um and you know so he he his his politics he brings his politics to the book so i'm going to bring my politics to reading the book how about that fair enough 
Fair enough. Okay. I didn't. I thought we'd get into this, but I didn't know you'd feel so strongly. So, uh... well, I mean, not really. I mean, I'm I'm hamming it up a little bit because I understand every we all have subjective uh, viewpoints to the world and our realities. So mm-hmm. it's inevitable that if anybody writes a book, they're going to bring their subjective viewpoints to that writing that book as well, right? Yeah. I, well, I can't fault him there bringing his subjective viewpoints to when he writes a book. Yeah, and I, I would agree with you that I think he's biased uh, in in a few ways and is kind of like anti-regulation, anti-government stance. And we can talk about the specific context of like his uh, of those topics he brings up. But um, but I mean, there's a lot of like neutral historical kind of observation and analysis too. I think, right? What do you say? Oh, a hundred percent. Yes, there was a lot of historical analysis of <laughs> almost ad nauseum historical analysis of all these different um, technologies that have been innovated over the years. Um, did you like all the the dates, names, and history? I mean, okay, so for me, like, the person who did it is less important than, like, just seeing the big picture patterns over time, I think, are interesting. Just thinking about, like, how did we get to now? Maybe why didn't we get further in some areas than people expected uh, and then maybe where are we going? What direction? I've always just kind of been interested in like the invention trends and patterns. Um, so yeah, like he was saying, people in the 1970s were thinking we'd be really advanced in like space travel and like transportation. But um, you know, and and it's been like 50 years and since we landed on the moon, and uh, you know, things haven't changed super drastically in terms of transportation. So. That's kind of interesting to reflect on it and why we haven't like progressed further in that area. Yeah, let's go. Let's go on on with that, because I, I agree. That is one thing that is very fascinating because you had, you know, real, you know, trains and locomotives in the, in the 1800s. And then you had automobiles in the early 1900s and then planes came along. And then you're right. Space space travel. Like it seemed that transportation was the big um technologically advanced sector um and for so long you're right people assumed we would have personal jetpacks to, to to fly around in or the jetsons was a popular cartoon back in the day we would be living in outer space but but i would say that like what i find but he goes on to say that then the transportation sector kind of trailed off and then the information sector is what became what took off with computers and the internet and and cell phones and all this stuff so i would say even that those two are not separate entities as much as we might think they are. Transportation is about getting a physical person from point A to point B, but with computers, internet, and telephones, we allowed people to share information anywhere in the world, like at you know the speed of light. So it's almost as if you know the world was shrunk when trains and cars and planes were in in it invented and, and uh, used on a, on a global scale. But then the world was shrunk again when technology advanced in the information sharing, such as computers and whatnot, you know? Yeah, I would agree with that to a large extent. I think the need for physical, like, meeting up is less important when, like, as seen with the pandemic, everyone, or a lot of people can work from home and communicate. But also, like, how much energy has gone into, like, maybe uh, startups and social networks and, like, uh, it's significant internet pursuits versus like, I guess, more big picture projects or transportation, like our infrastructure isn't super great. 
now in the country, um, things like that. It's it's interesting to think about. Yeah, that is. That's a good point, too, because I feel like, yeah, the innovation has uh, been much geared towards that uh, technology information, uh, uh, you know, sector. And it has left our infrastructure of roads and bridges and whatnot and actually getting from point A to point B physically it has left that lacking because we, you know, every, I think every city would definitely benefit from having a uh, more uh, funds go towards their public transportation systems because I feel like that's something that a lot of people are realizing that is important that that younger people want very much. Well, maybe we can talk about just like I don't know his outline or pattern or how do you want to like oh, kind of sure. go about it. Well, no, I was just glad we actually had something good to talk about from this book. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, let me ask you this, Tim. Yeah. How? What was your take? This book. This book is broken up into twelve chapters, mm-hmm. and in my opinion, the first seven are pretty much all the same. Uh, all just the same in, in what sense? In, um, the format, or, or what? I mean, basically, he's just talking about. I'm pulling different up the chapters. Okay. Yeah. He he just talks about different technologies and how innovation works within that technology. So he starts. Yeah, he talks about like energy and then public health and transportation, and he kind of goes section by section or chapter by chapter and gives examples of inventions. Right. Right. So you're asking what I thought about that like approach? Yeah, first first seven chapters. I actually liked it. I think, you know, I often complain about how I think th- these nonfiction books are structured that we read, but I feel I feel like his approach was pretty, like, bullet point, you know, here's the category and here are the inventions. My only complaint is that I would say it, it almost feels like, you know, for a lot of these, you just read the Wikipedia article and you get 90% of what he says. So there's a lot of, like, like I said, it's very high level. <laughs> so that's a fair criticism, right? Yeah, I mean, you you hit the nail right on the head. You read the Wikipedia page in a minute, and you can get what he's saying in a whole chapter. Like, I felt like he did not have to go into such rigorous detail about each sector of the first seven chapters. But I felt like they were all the same, just about different sectors. And he goes on and on about all these names and dates and places and stuff. And I don't care, to be honest with you. (laughs) Well, it's a challenging task. Like, how do you summarize all of the world's innovation and add just the right amount of detail, not too more, not too less. You know, you can't just say, like, a plane was invented. This, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. He's got to give a little, paint a little bit of a picture, right? I guess. But, I I mean, I felt like he was explaining how innovation works in all these different sec- sectors mm-hmm. to illustrate the points he's trying to make. And I would say by chapter three i fully understood the point he was making and so chapters four five six and seven were just kind of redundant in my opinion because like this is the book is how innovation works it's not like the history of each technical technological advance in the last millennia yeah yeah that's fair i think so would you what would you say about the pattern uh sorry the chapter on the patterns like i think it's number eight where it's like innovations essentials and he just goes like adds a little more analysis and insight there, right? Absolutely. And I feel like that was good. I felt like that could have come in chapter four. Like he didn't, like, I, I feel like 
this could have been a shorter book, number one, or number two, he could have maybe potentially talked more at the end. Like, I felt like at the end, he kind of left me want something wanting too, where he talks about what we can, what would help innovation grow in the future. Yeah. Or, you know, or what innovations might come in the future. I know it's hard to predict, but it's always curious to see what people think. Yeah, I would agree. I'd say like a little less of the Wikipedia, you know, <laughs> snapshot and a little more of like insight analysis, uh, a little less of the biases. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about, so what of the patterns did you like or think were interesting? I never assumed that in a, innovation was some eureka moment. Um, and I think that is well illustrated in this book that it is a gradual methodical process. He talks about Thomas Edison and his famous quote, genius is 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration because it's about trial and error and trying different things and tweaking. It's not, you know, putting all your eggs into one prototype or anything like that. He talks about the Wright brothers, how the Wright brothers would tinker and tweak little things here and there. And they knew it was a work in progress all the time. And I feel like that's, that's a good lesson to take away from this book is that even, you know, modern day people like Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg or whatever, Elon Musk, they still have to go through this process of like trial and error. It's not like they can just put it all together in their head and, oh, I got it, you know? Yeah, super gradual. A lot of trial and error is what kept coming up with the examples. And also I thought it was interesting is he said how like, how often similar breakthroughs happen around the same time. It's like once the conditions and circumstances are out there for people to come to similar conclusions, then you start seeing like all around the world, people kind of coming up with the same thing around the same time frame. And I find that interesting. I think he did, did make a good point about, you know, how that that isn't that doesn't necessarily mean that people are copying off each other, but it's just that other other things were not available, like, you know, having the right filament in the light bulb, Thomas Edison just tried many different things or whatever. And, or I forget the specific examples he uses in his book. It ha- Yeah. The circumstances have to be right for something to happen. And it's just, you know, things have to be ready at a certain point. And also um, I thought it was interesting too, is like he said, it's often unplanned. Like people will come up with this new invention or idea or creative use of something, but they didn't set out to do that. They set out to do something else entirely. Like that seems to be something that happens quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another point I liked that he brought up was that a lot of times we, we, we expect an innovation to greatly affect our lives in the short term. Mm-hmm. I think we can, we kind of overhype an innovation in the short term but then don't realize the long-term impacts of that innovation. The hype cycle. Is that what it is? Can you elaborate yeah. on that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I hear it in like tech all the time and like the software world is that we think of something like Bitcoin, we overestimate in the short term, like, oh, it's going to change everything and then nothing happens for 10 something years. But then in the long term, you know, maybe like 20 years from now, we have everything's decentralized and on the blockchain, you know? So, I mean, that's kind of a, just a thought experiment example, but that's the general idea, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Do you do you own any Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency? Uh, yeah, Dogecoin all the way. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 
Uh, I've got a little Bitcoin, a little Ethereum, like very, very small amount. Um, what about you? I got, I got into that this month. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Just in time. <laughs> I'm hoping. But yeah, that's an example of something on the hype cycle. And like the internet in general, like e-commerce, you know, 10 something years ago, like all these websites were failing. You know, you had the internet uh, dot com bubble. Right. Mm-hmm. And now but then everything came true pretty much like that people thought of like groceries online and food delivery online. So that's yeah. a that's a good example of the hype cycle. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do find that. And that, that was my introduction to the hype cycle. So I hadn't heard of that before. So that was good. So your industry, you're in, involved in surveying. Mm-hmm. What innovations have occurred in surveying over the years? Oh, man, so many. GPS was yeah. huge. I mean, that, I mean, that was, you know, and so that's kind of a bone that I have to pick with the author on that. Let, let me with, guess what you're going to say. You're going to say, say he, un, he, um, you know, didn't give enough credit to the government and the NASA program for developing GPS. Bingo. I, okay. And I agree with you, but go yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he says that governments cannot force innovation mm-hmm. and, I think majority of the time that is true, but I would also say that if it wasn't for the government, we wouldn't have GPS. Like there's no, I mean, like we wouldn't have it by this time because there's no company that would be launching satellites for navigation into the, in, into the stratosphere or no company would be able to, to afford to do that until maybe now with Elon Musk, you know, and, and SpaceX or, and JetBlue with Jeff Bezos. So like Blue Origin. Yeah, Blue Origin, is that what it is? Yeah, that's Blue's like an airline. Sorry, yes. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so the fact that the government had the space program helped us have GPS navigation earlier than we would have if government had done nothing. Mm-hmm. And so GPS was, has been a huge, huge benefit for surveying in the last 50 years. And then now you can even say drones are, are a huge tool for a lot of surveying work nowadays, too. Yeah, that's an interesting example. So, like, with drones, he was saying that's something modern where they introduced a lot of regulation early on, and it kind of became harder for, like, hobbyists to experiment and learn about it and play around with it. And, like, I can kind of see the argument for that, too. Like, if it were a little more open and whatnot, then maybe it's easier to people to get into and learn about. But I also understand, like, the safety, security concerns of drones, like being by airplanes and stuff, right? I find that it, I find that interesting because I do I, I agree with his point that said that it seemed like the drones like if you he said that if you read drone laws it's it's very specific you must stay like 400 feet away from you know airports and you have to can't be above you know maybe 400 feet elevation or whatever you know they had all these regimented rules where he said it could they should just say operators should perform drones in a safe and secure manner or yeah. something like that but I also think the reason we have such regimented rules over drones is because drones, I think, have become primarily popular after 9-11, right? Yeah. I mean, nothing changed a lot. It changed, you know, how we, you know, board airplanes and security and stuff like that, not to mention all our foreign policy stuff. But um, I would say that, like, writing for the government officials writing rules for drones in a post-9-11 world, they're going to be much more strict than they would have been before yeah yeah protecting the airspace is a complicated task but i think the general point is that you know it's good to not discourage like 
curiosity early on by kind of, you know, leaving that open. Right. And I, and I, yes. And that is the author's main point. And I agree with that. Uh, so do you think like he kind of ragged on Europe a lot? Like he's British himself, I think. Uh, what do you think about his opinion of Europe, of Europe and how he sees like innovation having unfolded there recently? Well, um, did you, I did some Googling of what Matt Ridley mm-hmm. and so, he was pro Brexit, so that doesn't really surprise me. <laughs> You're getting into tribal politics again, Brian. <laughs> yeah, I know. But but that's the thing, it's like he's pro Brexit because he just like you said, he doesn't have a favorable view view of Europe, so that's fine. I mean that's his opinion. I, I feel like he especially dogged Europe when it comes to like genetically modified uh, plants and, and crops and regulations for uh, yeah, vaccines, I think as well. Was that it too? Maybe not. Um, it, it was mostly just the crop thing. So do you think GMOs, like, if, you know, some innovation there could help, like, feeding people in some developing country, like, yeah, what do you think about that? I don't really have a problem with GMOs. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, we kind of been doing that for centuries with, you know, taking the best uh, plants and then, you know, planting the seeds from those and, and selective, uh, you know, crops selection. But, um, so I, I don't really have any qualms with, you know, scientists in the lab adjusting. Yeah. The, yeah. I don't know the stats on it, but it doesn't seem like a huge, I mean, I know there are a lot of people who are concerned about it and people who just want to eat organic, but like maybe in Europe, it's a bigger thing, but that doesn't seem, you know, in the mainstream, like forefront as much. Right. Um, so what about countries like, so, you know, Germany had a lot of like innovation, I guess, but like automobiles more so like after world war two and stuff, but like, I mean, I can't, so why is it though that there haven't been these major companies invented in Europe, like a Google or something? I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, I mean, American exceptionalism. <laughs> American exceptionalism. Damn. We're so good, we can't even talk. Yeah. I can't even say it today. Man, I've stumbled over words. But come on, it's because America is the best, and you know it, Tim. I'd like to point out that Brian's being sarcastic too. <laughs> for anyone concerned. No, I mean, there are things, you know, I think we do well as a country and things we don't, but I, you know, it's hard to deny like that, that wave of innovation, but I mean, yeah, in technology in particular, maybe they take like privacy more seriously, but then again, like, do you think the recent law that you have to accept cookies on every website is a good thing or more annoying than anything, you know, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, do you always just hit accept? Honestly, I just like close out of it and it doesn't seem to affect my experience with the website usually. Right? I don't think, I think I've hit both, accept and, and no, and I still get to see the content I want to see, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's just, I guess it's something that it's like well intentioned. Like mo- a lot of like government, uh, you know, programs or policies could be well intentioned but have negative consequences. Is And he talks a lot about like nuclear power. And I've heard this, you know, from people on both sides of political spectrum that, like, maybe this is a form of energy that's better than, like, you know, oil, gas that we should invest in more because it's cleaner. Um, But also you run the risk of, like, you know, waste disposal and that kind of thing. 
doing that properly, right? So what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think that is an interesting topic. I mean, there is, you know, if we can harness nuclear power in a better way, it has the potential for, uh, you know, to greatly help our energy consumption uh, mm-hmm. needs. Um, but I think the author's point, of, he makes a point about, like, the 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 negative connotations around nuclear power are enough to prevent people from researching it or exploring that option more. Um, and I agree with that, but I also think, you know, there's other means, ways to get power too that uh, can lessen our dependence on coal and oil. So I don't know, maybe, maybe someday in the future we'll, ha- we'll be able to explore that option more often, but, or, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean that's a complicated thing. Like we're not we're not experts on energy policy. Like I can't give statistics or data on the pros and cons and trade-offs and all that. Um but I think we can agree like it's good to move away from gas and oil and towards like electric, right? Oh, for sure. So like I guess one thing I had a problem with too is that when he talks about innovation, it's not he didn't really mention from like a culture side. I felt like um so thinking about countries in Europe, maybe they haven't invented like the next Google or internet company, but they also, a lot of them have like a good like safety net and social services. And then you think of companies like Sweden and Spotify, the founder is Swedish, I think. Um, and like, you know, just some creative like artists and, uh, you know, yeah, type of people coming out of there. So on, it depends on the measure of what you're considering innovation, right? And, and that thing. Oh, I, I completely agree. And I feel like, you know, the lack of innovation in Europe does not mean they are destitute and, you know, and citizens of those countries are just poor and, and not succeeding in life. Because I think I agree with you 100 percent that that what Europe has lacked in innovation, I think they've far, they've exceeded in, in actually taking care of their citizens which you could argue is more important for a government to do. The U.S. could have, like, better health care and stuff, for sure. Because it's like, yeah. if people had their basic needs, you know, taken care of, then they'd have more freedom to, uh, you know, invent things, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If if people who get laid off could have a uh, reliable income to help bridge the gap for them for maybe six a whole year, you know, then that will allow them to explore what other options, you know, what maybe other options that they would have not been able to try given our current situation. So who knows what that could lead? That could have led them to create, start their own business or come up with a bright, you know, explore their curiosity more and, and discover something cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think about. That is. That's a good point. Because, like, you, I've heard countries like Iceland uh, have really high, like, uh, art, artist, you know, artists per population, yeah. like, the ratio of yeah. art, you know, like, creative people, um, I think, because they do have that strong safety net. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what about, like, the patent system? Like, do you think that's a good or bad thing, that you can just patent something and then it's hard for other people maybe to invent something because it's already been patented? Well, I found it interesting, um, all the historic uh, tales of all these uh, 
different innovations throughout the years, the patents seem to be pretty broad uh-huh. and not and and able to, you know, when somebody got an invention for like something generic, like uh, using you know, boiling water to power a turbine, and then yeah. they could use that to prevent other people from. Or not if they not preventing people, but making getting trying to get royalties from other people who might expand expand on that technology. So I agree that some patents might be a little too rigorous, but I feel like it's an important uh, thing. I mean, like mm-hmm. I guess I guess the author's argument is that imaginative and creative people are going to innovate and invent, even if they don't get to make money off of their invention for the next twenty years, but. I would still push back and say you still need to reward them. And because like I find it interesting that this guy, the author, says bad mouths patents, but then he says, but for pharmaceutical companies who spend billions of dollars and, and ten and you know many years researching different drugs, they deserve to have their patents. Did so, he say that? Pretty much. Well I'm I may I may be paraphrasing <laughs> a little bit. But yeah. yeah, it's tough. I mean, like, because I watch a lot of Shark Tank, and, uh, you know, they often say, like, oh, I've got a patent or patent pending. And I think patents are an incentive for innovation for a lot of people because it kind of lets them keep the competition away early on so that they can, you know, invest and grow their small business. Um, right. So it's, but there's two sides. I mean, there are patent trolls too who just sit on something and stop other people from innovating. So, I don't know how you resolve that like yeah. contradiction. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know how you resolve that either because that is a problem and people shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But there's all kinds of things that people shouldn't do, but yet they still do. Yeah, and this is okay. So what's the name of that phenomenon? Uh, cognitive dissonance, I think, when you're holding two conflicting thoughts in your head at the same time. Where I think I can see how regulation is a problem and bureaucracy over-regulation and too much bureaucracy is a problem when there are all these managers and middlemen and nothing's ever going to get done. But at the same time, deregulation. We watched that movie um, Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good example of deregulation uh, being a problem because you have this company, DuPont, who invented like Teflon and are like, oh, we got these nonstick pans now. You can make eggs or whatever. That's great. But like they poisoned this whole town, right? So, uh, so like you know, maybe we should have regulations to protect, like, the water supply. That's not a bad thing. Um, so, yeah, like... And and I would say that, like, yeah, regulations to regulate the water supply and making sure companies are not polluting, if that stymies their innovation a little bit, and I would say it's worth it, right? Yeah. it's You're, you're, you're right that it, it's a cognitive dissonance where, you know, on one hand, things can be too much, and on the other, they can be, they are needed, but at the end of the day, it's also a, a cost-benefit analysis where we can't have innovation just run amok at yeah. the cost of every at the average person's daily life. Yeah, and one thing I thought interesting kind of going off that is uh, he talked about how with the United States, and I never thought about this as strongly, but like having 50 states, you basically have the opportunity to have like 50 experiments, you know, if one state wants to legalize weed or you know like uh have one policy over another you i think that's i maybe underestimated why that's allowed the country to um grow in a unique way maybe compared to other countries is that you can 
move people can move to different states and pursue things you know as long as the their values and goals align with where they live right so is there is there anything that tim Mm -hmm. is there an invention in your head that you've (laughs) thought that you wish somebody would invent or something that is not in this world that you would want there to be Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, An automatic carrot peeler or something like that. I don't know. That's, <laughs> I like peeling carrots, so I don't mind doing it. Maybe. You like peeling carrots? Yeah. Dude, peelers are scary to me. Like, you're gonna take a piece of uh, some skin off your finger with those things. Mm. Dangerous. <laughs> no, that. Yeah, we definitely need a robot for that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think we're still gonna see some big inventions in like. Decentralized, decentralized finance, big, like blockchain, mm. internet, mm. Uh, space stuff, I think, is growing. Um, I don't know. I can't think of anything cool specifically at, off the top of my head. What about you? Well, I always thought when I was younger, it'd be cool to have like a little robot baseball team. <laughs> what? <laughs> this, is, this is really stupid. <laughs> it's really stupid. But like, I always like, I would play video games when I was young. And video games are fun, but they're on the TV, you know? I wanted to control my own team of baseball players, but, like, little miniature robots, like, about three <laughs> inches tall. And and play baseball in, like, my basement or something like that. <laughs> Hold now on. Now, that, that is I very to... specific, but, yeah. <laughs> I need to dig a little deeper into this. Yeah. Uh, and evaluate you psychologically. <laughs> so... Sure, sure. So you think the invention the world needs is three? No, I'm saying this is the invention the world needs. I'm okay. saying this this is twelve year old Brian Why? who wants to play who wants to watch baseball and live you know eats drinks and sleeps baseball. Wants and he just wants his own little team of miniature robot baseball players. You've been sitting on this for twenty years, Brian. Twenty plus years. <laughs> yes. I, I when I, I thought about this question to ask you, I wanted to know what Tim thought, the you know, what you want. In yeah. And so, so then I thought about myself. I'm like, well, the only thing I can think of when I was growing up was that robot baseball team. So, yeah, I just don't understand why they're three inches. Like, why can't they be like human size? Oh. Well, no, I don't want human sized robots around my Are house. you watching them play baseball? How are they playing? I, I'm controlling the players. It's like a video game, but in real life. Oh, okay. That's making yeah. a little more sense to me. Right. Couldn't you do yeah. that with like VR? I didn't have VR in the <laughs> early '90s. I'm thinking 90s. like that could be a VR game. It's like, I mean, yeah. I'm sure they're gonna, you know, create like the next Madden or NBA, MLB game where you're controlling the players somehow. I think that's another technology we haven't talked about yet that could. I think. I think it hits. If what's that called? The hyperloop or no? The hyper. The hype. Hype cycle. <laughs> hype cycle. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I think VR hit, uh, fits the hype cycle too. That it's been out for a while and people were like, "Oh, VR is going to be great." And then it's like now people are like, "Oh, VR. You just wear some goggles and you get a tour around." You know. Have you done VR? Have you tried like but, Oculus? But I enjoy VR, and I feel like that's going to be something ten years from now that will be real more uh, will be totally submersive and allow us to have really cool experiences. Have you? Uh, did you see Ready Player One, the movie? I have not. No. I thought as a movie, I thought it was just okay, but in terms of the, the special books. effects, sorry, what? I hear the book's really good. I've heard the book's good, maybe better than the movie, but um, 
in terms of special effects, it seems like we are heading that way in, for, with VR, it, like super immersive and like, you know, it feels like real life. Um, and it makes sense with like graphics and processing getting better. Um, but then I thought of that movie too. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've seen this one, but it's like real steel with Hugh Jackman and he's like punching. It's like robots punching each other, you know? So that, that could be the future too. It's just like sport baseball robots, not three inches, but life size. Yeah. It's true. So athletes would not be putting their own bodies on the line. The athletes would be, the athletes could be anybody. I could be an athlete. And you make the decision of like where he's going to move and stuff. Yes. That'd be cool. Man. Yeah. Let's make a movie about a robotic football team and just see how that goes. Or no, you want football? We can do football. No, I feel like, yeah, who wants to watch three hours of, uh... okay. Uh, You know what? Oh, it just reminded me. There was an old Nintendo game. Oh, I forget the name of it. But it was BattleBots, or no, it was like Robo. It was like Robo Baseball, where. <laughs> so this is a real thing, and you just stole this idea. It's a real Nintendo game <laughs> where you had different robots on a. You had a baseball team of robots uh-huh. for real, and and then when they when you go to tag somebody at second base, it's like the two robots would battle it out with what? cannons. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pro- okay. I, w- I would watch that so, if they're gonna start Google battling. Later. Yeah. Oh man, I forget the name of that. I got I gotta Base get Wars. the name of it. So, <laughs> Base Wars. It might be Base Wars. I'm just yeah. trying to Google on the side. It was on oh regular Nintendo. Regular Nintendo. Uh, Base Wars. You're right. I think. More so than VR, I think augmented reality is going to be big. And I know Google Glass tried that already but i think apple's going to come out with one like a better design and it'll be pretty like immersive you'll buy it because it's apple yeah i mean (laughs) well okay yeah i do like iphone better than android they do do design well i just think you know the world we can't all be looking down at our phones all the time like eventually it's just like you can look up use your glasses and kind of like have screens um you know projected somewhere right so what else okay i think Self-driving cars. I'm surprised he didn't mention those. At least I don't remember. But I feel like that could be the next really big thing if it if it works out and when it works out, you know. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that will be a very nice feature to have in the future. But I feel like it's also going to be a lot of um, like infrastructure needs as well, like of the roads, to mm-hmm. so that the cars know. Maybe, but as more cars, it's like machine learning though too, right? As more cars are on the road that can are automated driving then the computer the ai will learn more and be able to adapt better yeah yeah ai lots of advancements there i'm just thinking of like why aren't there more like flying cars or like you know helicopter drone things where it's like you have that whole airspace you don't have to worry about a road and pedestrians and all that you know getting in the way it's like back to the future too right yeah, something like that. Hoverboards. <laughs> oh, hover, yeah, hoverboards. <laughs> I was thinking about the DeLorean in the air. Oh, uh, yeah. One more topic I want to bring up in right. the context of this book is I think China is an interesting example and counterexample. And he waited to like the last chapter or section to bring this up. But, you know, he's he keeps talking about like deregulation and uh, government and how like we need less government to have innovation. But then he looks at how like innovative uh, China has been recently. And it's sort of this paradox where it's like, 
they're authoritarian, but they've become more like capitalistic and giving people some more freedom. But then they have like Jack Ma, who just like I think was getting too big with Alibaba. He started criticizing the government and then kind of had to take a step back or step down. You, really, that, you think that's why Jack Ma kind of receded from the limelight? That, that was, from what I understand, the timing was that he had kind of criticized the government and then um, they were going to go public with the company and then they they stopped, right? Um, it was and, like a and financial and, and group yeah. or something. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he crossed the line or something. I don't know. I didn't hear that. Dang. But yeah, I mean, I, I found it interesting. The author barely touched China. I mean, it was just a little, like a couple paragraphs or something mm-hmm. where he felt like China would be the next great innovation hub. But then he also said that because of the authoritarian government, it's going to cap that to a certain extent. And then he also mentioned India because India is, has, you know, a billion people or more. And then they're a, somewhat of a democracy, I guess, yeah. or a parliament. Yeah. But um, so they they he sees that India could potentially have some innovation in the future as well, which I found interesting. Yeah, I just don't. It feels like this contradiction to me because uh, we read that book AI Superpowers, and that's written from this Chinese guy's perspective, or you know, uh, and he talks about how the government funds puts so much funding into technology, and that's part of the reason I think they've been able to progress so quickly in such a short amount of time. So right. it's like. You know, I think there is a case to be made for that as well. But I also understand his perspective that maybe they're having this run in the short run and then eventually like the intellectuals and most successful people might want to go to a place where they have more freedoms and can, you know, have all the money they want type thing. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. So okay, how do you how do you think the world's gonna look in like ten, twenty, thirty, forty years? Oof, man. It's still gonna be around. <laughs> so it's still gonna look similar. You didn't sound too sure. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I feel like, it, I don't know. It's tough to predict, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. It's like, I feel like, you know, VR, AI, driving cars, maybe a little more advanced. But I don't see it. Like, in 20 years, I don't know if it's going to be completely everywhere. Well, that's that's a big point he makes in the book a few times, is that it is hard to predict. Like, you know, nobody, nobody really knows what it's going to look like. And, uh, yeah, I think definitely technology, VR, AR, AI, self-driving cars, drones are all going to be bigger and bigger cloud technology. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. So I read this book a while ago called Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman, talking about how, like, and this was written in, like, the 70s when, you know, they had some bad sitcoms probably, but, like, uh, talking about how entertainment is like, you know, making us less productive or social or something. And then today we've got like streaming services everywhere. I mean, like, I love the quote unquote golden age of television and like having endless things to watch, whether it's maybe like high quality, good production, or maybe just like trashy, addicting television. But basically, my point is we've got all this at our fingertips. Do you think this revolution in entertainment and streaming is? Uh, a bad thing and making us less likely to innovate? Are we just going to be like the fat people in like Wally, where they're floating around on robots and stuff? Oh, that is such a good point. <laughs> yes, we are totally going to be the Wally. That is what we're, we're going to be 40 years from now. We're going to be in a spaceship floating around space, just, you know, oh, no. all of us will be tubs of lard. 
because and usually, we'll be streaming. You usually end on such like a optimistic note. Do I really? Well, usually like try to bring some positivity to this, right? Well, that's because our last book was so great and uplifting. But <laughs> but no, I think on. you're you're right that like there. But no, I mean honestly, I'm being facetious too because there are always going to be people out there that you know whether it's narcissism or pure uh, curiosity will strive to bring human beings the next great technology, right? Mm -hmm. So you're right that the general masses can be entertained on their screens by Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, HBO Max, uh, Peacock, or, you know, any other streaming service that I fail to mention. Mm -hmm. But there's still going to be that, you know, what, 5% of people that are so internally driven to create something that will change the world that will eventually get some good inventions in the future. Yeah, I guess I'm a little concerned that, like, we're just devolving into, like, a shorter, shorter attention span, like, you know, the Shallows concept or book. Uh, but... Yeah, at the same time, there's always going to... I feel like things go in cycles and waves, and there's always going to be, like, cultural changes and transformations of people trying to invent stuff, right? Right. Or, I think, I, I think okay. what the future might install, have in store is some more immersive technology, like maybe some other wearable or something where I agree. I agree with you, Tim, that, like, people are going to eventually resist always pulling a phone out of their pocket or their purse and, and looking at that and using that to connect with people or take photos or whatever. So there's going to be some other technology that's wearable and, and immediately uh, at our fingertips. And because I feel like, I feel like there will be like you, I think you're right that it goes in cycles, it ebbs and flows. And I feel there will be maybe in 20, 30 years this resistance to being connected online all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, not a Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you know, and they all have their way. But I feel like you're right that like just like fashion, how fashion always goes through cycles. And now maybe is 90s fashion in because I see people with jeans that show their ankles and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> but anyway, regardless. Everything is cyclical, so that eventually I think there will be a time when the screen, looking at uh, the small phone in your pocket, may not always be in. There will be something else to replace it. But podcasts are forever, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I think we're I think we're reaching a world where we're we're hitting critical mass of podcasts. But oh, yeah. I'm we reached that a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, we'll be a good right. time capsule for, you know, 30 oh, years yeah. from now, Absolutely. we'll see what's actually invented and then go back right. and listen to this. Be like, wow. Hey, can you believe, I mean, the, the only people that might get a kick out of this are our kids and grandkids someday. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. But we'll see. If they have enough attention span to listen to. <laughs> An hour long podcast about book. random books. Yeah. No, that's, that's yeah. a good note to add. Anything yeah. else you wanted to? Well, give it? no. You want to give it a rating? Yeah. All right, Tim, what's your rating? Four. Four? Yeah. You give it a four? You know, I honestly, the topic alone, the structure of it, I I like the way it's laid out. I like the general message. 
I mean, maybe I'd go down to like three, three and a half, just based on how negative you were about it. Kind of making me think negatively, but I came in thinking it was a four, so I'm gonna stick to that. Okay, okay. How about you? I'm giving it a one. Oh wow! Is that our biggest gap yet? No, it's not. What's our our, big- our big our biggest gap was on the road by Jack Kerouac. Was that five and one? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh. You don't you don't like that book at all. I don't know. <laughs> so this book was like getting a tooth pulled for me to read. <laughs> to read. This book was like homework. Oh this was like homework for me to learn how to pull my own tooth out. It was oh, terrible. Right. Freaking drama queen. I had to I had to force myself <laughs> to read this book. So for I the right to go. person. I'm hey, hey, no. For the right person, not... you're absolutely right. Tim, yeah. I'm 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 very <laughs> I'm very happy for you that you enjoyed reading this book. Yeah. And let's say I'll take a break from picking like, you know, business invention books and you'll take a break from picking like democrat intellectual books. <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> I think that's fair. Yes. I think we should yes. It, I I agree that let's maybe we out. should Try to branch out our, our next couple, yeah. our, our book picks from here on out. Or I agree. I we got some good ones lined up. What is uh, I, The Book Thief is next? The Book Thief is good. Uh, is Yeah, The Book Thief is next. Read Sorry. It? No, I have not read it. Okay. <laughs> it's supposed to be good. It's supposed to be good. I think it's supposed to be a, a, a existentialist novel. So Did they make a movie good. out of that? I, I think, think they did, yes. But I don't remember when or by who. And but, then what do I have after that? You have uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, that should be a good one. That feels that like one weird. that would be one of your favorites, but you've never read it for some reason. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So I'm very happy that you picked that one. Nice. Pick a sci-fi, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next one is Everybody Lies. <laughs> Another happy one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. at least we'll have two good books back to back yeah yeah um and then, and then i agree maybe try to branch out you know like we haven't read any biographies right yeah yeah who would who would you want to uh throw i guess the main book was a little bit of a biography huh which one? Oh, uh what's his name montaigne montaigne yeah yeah who would you want to read a biography of i was thinking like nelson mandela yeah. I don't know enough about him or South South Africa. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Not to tip my hand, but because <laughs> my next anyway. book is Nelson Mandela. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll think about some genres. Uh, maybe like erotic fiction or something. I don't know. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably read that much faster than I read this book. <laughs> They probably pull teeth too, and that I don't know. It might have the same <laughs> sensation, just a different uh, angle. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. All right. So, hey, everybody, until, well, go to our website, twoguysonebook.com. You can see the books that we're going to be reading next, and you can comment on them and tell us we're full BS or if. if Brian was right or Tim was right or oh wait well, no Brian was right or Tim was wrong either way is fine. Keep in mind I can edit the comments and uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I can probably delete them though. Oh, the power <laughs> you have. <laughs> it's just gonna be all people right. agreeing with me all the way down. <laughs> just kidding. 
All right. That was a good talk. So, yeah. So until next time. Keep reading. Keep reading. All right.